I'm sure you all can think of things that you have experienced, and after you experience it, there's no going back. Maybe it can be the minor things like 4K TV, and you see it, and you go to back to the old TV before we even talked about what number they were, and you, you just go, this is unwatchable, right? Or maybe you have a, a, a new computer, and then for some reason you have to go back to the old computer for a little bit, and you're just going crazy waiting on it, right? Well, there are things that we can experience that really just change us, right? Uh, the knowledge is a funny thing. Once you experience something, it's really hard to just go back. They call it there's another name for it, they call it the curse of knowledge. And it's like once you've learned something, it's hard to understand how do you not get this? Uh, you know, you learn a language and you become proficient in it. And then you're talking to someone and they're struggling and you're like, what's your problem? It, it, there is a curse of knowledge, not really, but it feels that way, right? Once you experience something, it's really hard to understand what it's like to not, and it's really hard to go back. And we hear stories of new believers, and it's funny. Uh, someone shared with me a story recently of someone who came to Christ and then just found it unfathomable that their friends didn't believe, and there had to be something wrong with their friends. And I'm sure you experience something like that if you're a believer of just, why isn't it getting through your head? Why, why isn't your heart receiving this with, with gladness? And the answer is God hasn't opened that. But, but once you've experienced the presence of God, it's, it, it changes you. And so we're going to see this in 1 Kings 8, 54 through 61. You can turn there. Uh, I don't know if we have it on the screens. So here we're going to see Solomon after he has prayed for, his, for God's people that they may look to the temple and receive forgiveness. And they've had this awesome worship experience where he started standing and he ends up on his face worshiping God. And he's going to describe the presence of God and how it changes our hearts, how it changes our actions, and how it blesses the nations. Now as Solomon finished offering all his prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with his hands, outstretched towards heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he has promised, not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts towards him, or to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our father. Let these words of mine, which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people, Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Let's pray.
God, we, we know you are everywhere. And we praise you for you are so transcendent and beyond us. But you are also very near. And you are with us. When we call out to you, you are there. And so uh, we lift you up and we praise you for that. But we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would incline our hearts to give, for those who, who don't know you, that you would give them new hearts, that you would save them. And we pray that tonight in this, this service, one among many, that it would bless the nations how you see fit. For your name's sake, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have Solomon after uh, this long prayer before God in front of the people, uh, he blesses the people of Israel. And he could have said anything. I'm reminded of 1 Kings 3 when God uh, asked Solomon, like, what do you want? I want to bless you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for an expanded kingdom. He didn't ask for more money or more power, but he asked for wisdom. Well, here we see Solomon, and he asked for two things with two purposes. And the first one is, is that God would be with them. The presence, they, he wanted their, God's presence. He says, the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. Now, what did that mean to them? Uh, Solomon starts his blessing by asking God to uh, be with them so that he might incline their hearts towards them. It would be natural to ask, what does one have to do with the other, right? What does changing hearts and nearness have to do with each other? But there is a power to the presence of God. There is a power to the presence of God. In Exodus 3, uh, God is calling Moses to lead God's people out of Egypt. And Moses is like, I am not qualified for this job. And he kind of isn't. But what does God say? He doesn't say, no, uh, I'm going to make you a better speaker. Or no, you, you, you're good enough. No, he says, I will be with you. That's it. God's presence was enough. And so Moses goes. And this is echoed again in Joshua 1.9. After Israel was unfaithful and was uh, fearful of giants and refused to take the promised land, what was the promise God gave? He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was the promise. That is what enabled them to go into the land. That was the fuel to their fire. The promise of his presence. There's power in his presence. In Judges 6.16, we see uh, Gideon, who's... Fearful, as always, he did his work in a, in a, sorry, lost the word. He would work so that his enemies wouldn't see him and that he obeyed God, but he only did it at night because he was afraid. This man got courage from what? In uh, Judges 16, 16, it says, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. You can you can do it. You can have courage. You, can, you know that my ends will be met, that my desire will be achieved 
because I will be with you. Now, there are two sides of the presence of God. When we talk about the presence of God, like the, the manifest presence, or we talk about the presence of God, uh, there is our experience of it. Uh, in Psalms 100, verse 2, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Or again, it says, Draw near to the God, to God, and he will draw near to you. These two verses are invitations to a more joyful and satisfying experience with God. It's our experience. But then there is God's expression of his presence. Again, he, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But he can express his presence in, in specific ways at specific times. So Psalms 114, 7 and 8 says, Tremble, O earth! At the presence of the Lord, at the presence of God, the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. There is something powerful when God expresses his presence. And before, earlier in the chapter, we see that God expressed his presence in the temple and all the priests had to stop working because they couldn't work. So we see in Psalm 73, 28, For me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. To be near God. So the psalmist understands that there's some experience of being near God. But at the same time, uh, later on in uh, Psalms 145, 18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all, to all who call on him in truth. So which one is it? Was he near uh, the one who said he was near to him, or is he near to everybody? The answer is yes. Uh, yes. There is an experience on our end of, of experiencing the presence of God. Now, how does this affect heart change? Would be a natural question. How does presence affect change? Now, my brother growing up was a hero to me. He was three and a half years older than me. And he was just so cool. And everybody, you know, his own age thought he was cool. So definitely, I just thought he was a rock star. And I wanted to do everything he did. I remember being on a playground, and someone asked me, you know, I was really young, and I'm in Oklahoma. So someone says, do you like, you know, OU or OSU, Oklahoma State? And I knew one had red and one had orange. And, you know, children like orange. And so I said, OSU. But then I found out that my brother was an OU fan. So I switched. And I was like, no, I like OU. And I still like Oklahoma. Why? Because my brother did. I wanted to be like him. When I was around him, I would just do things that he did. I thought it was so cool when I threw out my shoulder. Why? I had to have surgery. We got to have matching shoulder scar scars. How cool is that? <laughs> I wanted to be like my brother, being around him. It, it changed me. Studies show that if your friends are uh, overweight, you're more likely to be overweight. It, even your friends can affect the way you laugh. Do you know that? You, the presence of a person can change you. If your friends are all getting divorced, the more divorced friends you have, the more likely, statistically, uh, that you are to get divorced. Our relationships change us, and that's why we're uh, counseled in scripture about who we, who we fellowship with. Solomon in the moment 
would have gladly sang with the psalmist in Psalms 21, you make him, the king, glad with the joy of your presence. Being around God makes the king glad. It made David glad. It changes hearts. There is a joy that comes with being in the presence of the Lord. And Solomon hoped that God will turn Israel's hearts through the joy of experiencing him. Our behaviors are an outworking of love. Think about it. You do what you love. When Janice, is, my wife, is baking cookies, she doesn't have to tell me to come eat them. I'm the one pulling them out of the oven because I smelled them, and I'm going to go get them because I love them. You don't have to, I uh, like the, the saying, as Ron said recently, you don't have to tell me to kiss my wife. We do what we love. And then in, in Deuteronomy, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Before Moses brings the law, what does he bring? He, he commands Love, it all starts with the heart. And that's where the failure of, of, of a legalist is when people just say, you know, uh, do this, do that, do this, and, and without showing how this is surpassingly beautiful. And when we share the gospel with our friends, we, we, we should show the beauty of Christ. We should show him as he is, lovely. In Deuteronomy 36 Moses says, circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And so we need our hearts to change. We need to change our loves, which sounds very difficult. I did youth ministry and youth love to say things like, well, uh, unchurched youth love to say things like, uh, the heart wants what the heart wants. There's some truth to that. We need God to change our hearts, right? We need God to change our desires. We naturally take good things and turn them into idols. We, we take the law that is a good thing that shows us how to love God and how to love our neighbor, and we turn it into showing everybody how awesome we are and how good we are at obeying it. We take cars which are wonderful blessings of transportation and we drive them recklessly and we we drive them dangerously while texting and driving we take good things and we turn them into bad things so in order to see god we need to see with new eyes we need ears new ears to hear we need a new heart to love him and this is why ezekiel says in ezekiel 36 and i will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Rules, statutes, what does it come after? It comes after a new heart. So what does this mean to us? So we see Solomon has... Uh, Deuteronomy in mind in this particular moment. Well, what does that mean to us? You know, we naturally also do the things we love. Uh, we're 
as the King James puts it, uh, the problem is we're desperately wicked. We need new loves, and we must be transformed. As, and so we need to be transformed through the presence of God. And how are we done that? Well, God became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus Christ. Christ is God manifest. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord would, who could be seen, heard, and touched. We could, they could touch him. He was physical. He was, he was there. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And Romans 2.29 says, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. We need a circumcised heart. We need God to change us. We need, we need a new heart. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. If you've never trusted in Christ, if, if, if this all seems weird to you, uh, if this seems, if when you read scripture it seems boring to you, then you need to ask for eyes to see. You need to ask for a new heart. You need to ask to be changed. You need to pray to God. And if you pray in faith, you will receive a new heart and a new eyes and new ears. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, seeing Christ changes you. So there are two effects that we see from being in the presence of, of God as, as New Testament believers. We see for unbelievers, you can be changed. He can give you a new heart. You can be saved. That's transformation by his presence. But there's a second way he can change you by his presence. And that is by meditating on scripture, the gospel that is revealed in there, Christ that is revealed in scripture, changes you. It changes you from one degree of glory to another. The presence of Christ seen in scripture changes us. In Romans 8, it says, how do we fulfill the righteous requirements of the law? By walking in the Spirit. And then it goes on. It, For God has done what the, the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So how do we, so we see when God says his presence changes our hearts and, his, and our new hearts are able to start following in his commandments. And we see this in Romans where it says uh, he gives us a new spirit and it enables us to walk according to the spirit. So the, the second promise that God gives, the second blessing, sorry, that Solomon gives is that, that he would, sorry, in verse 59, 
let these words of mine, which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord, our God, day and night, and he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires. So here we see, it's interesting, as each day, day and night, uh, this was... Uh, this was more than just something being on file with God. This was more than just a post-it where God, you know, God just put it on the wall somewhere in the office and this will remind you uh, that you need to sustain us, that you need to enable us to follow you. No, it's more than that. This is, uh, it literally reads a matter of a day in its day, like uh, keep these things before you. A matter of a day in his day. It's awkward reading, but it's the same reading in Exodus 16.4 where the manna is a day's portion every day. And so Israel, in order to uh, obey God, had to get the manna every day. And, and in the same way, it was something always before them. In the same way, Solomon is asking God, Keep this before you every day, all the time. Sustain us. We can't do this on our own. We can't fulfill the law. We can't, we, we can't obey you. We can't do it. We need you to sustain us. And not just once, but every day. And how is this related to us? Well... There is a, it's, it, there's a, a, it can feel mundane at times to be faithful to certain things, like to school every day, show up and plug away and learn everything you're supposed to. I remember in school, we, you know, the teacher was diagramming sentences, I just watched the clock. And there's a funny way that those things always catch up with you, because then you're, you know, I was in seminary in Greek class, and, you know, uh, they're talking about these, you know, diagramming sentences, and I had no idea what they were talking about, because I didn't pay attention. Uh, but there is something about being faithful day in and day out that is a, not only a witness to the nations, but, but it, it, is, it is part of conforming to the image of Christ, uh, that's why we're told to let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We don't run a sprint in the Christian faith. This isn't something uh, that is short. It, it requires endurance. And there are peaks and there are times where we have awesome experiences before God. And there are valleys where it is hard and it feels uh, like maybe it'll never end. And this is coming from Solomon who is fulfilling a promise in a, in a way of, of having the temple uh, that was given to Moses 500 years before. And how long did uh, humanity have to wait for the answer to the promise of, of Adam and Eve that there would one day be a, uh, someone to crush the head of the serpent? God's not on our timetable. And so Solomon is acknowledging that the cause of Israel is not going to be something that's going to be quickly resolved. This is something that is going to be day in and day out, they're going to have to be following God. So he's calling them to be faithful amidst the grind, and that is what we do. 
In Matthew 5.14, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. We are to be a light to the Gentiles, or sorry, to the nations. We are part of the nations, and we are to be a light to all the world. And how do we do that? It's by being faithful when we're diagramming sentences or when we're working and it's just we don't feel inspired, we don't feel particularly fulfilled by the task. We're being, by being faithful to our families. Have you been around a Christian family as they're discipling their children or maybe just dealing with a discipline problem and they're bringing in the gospel? It's encouraging. It's refreshing. And the world sees that. And so our, our faithful witness is a day-to-day thing. That is our cause. It's not something we're not just waiting for the time. Well, I'm, I'm not you know, going to speak before 5,000 people like Billy Graham, so I might as well just check out. No. Well, I'm just waiting for that opportunity to, you know, have that conversation, but, you know. No, it's, it's even before the conversation when we're, we're serving people in the name of Christ, when we're loving them and we're seeking out that opportunity, we're prayerfully waiting. Uh, we're doing like J.I. Packer said, which is like, uh, you know, I can't always choose the conversation, but I can't always talk about the gospel. When I do get to choose the conversation... I want to make it about the gospel. And so we're always having that that posture of readiness, that prayerful attitude of God, let me be a light and and faithful all the way. And we're praying that God sustained us because we can't do it without him and without his presence. Now, so then he, he takes this cause of Israel and he asks that it would bless the nations. So uh, John Piper, when he looked at this verse, Verse 60, he said, The aim of Israel's history is that all the people of the earth may know that Yahweh is God. There is no other. That's the aim of Israel's history. That's the trajectory. That's the trajectory of all of Israel's history is that the nations may know Yahweh is God. So what did Solomon have in view? Uh, This is not about national pride. This is an extreme nationalism. Uh, This is a a promise given to Solomon's ancestor, Abraham, in Genesis 12, that he will be a blessing to the nations. He will be blessed to be a blessing. And later, uh, so that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Solomon understood that the children of Israel were to draw the nations to the presence of God. There are two results from the nations knowing that Israel's God is the only God. So there are two ways people are going to respond, right? So this passage doesn't mention faith. It mentions their acknowledgement that God is God. There is no other. There's two ways you can, re- that are, you can see that they respond. One is like uh, in the David killing Goliath. In 1 Samuel, he says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. The very day I will give the the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
And what has happened? What is their response? Is it faith? What is the purpose of it? No. They flee in terror. And so there is a, a response of terror. It can be a fleshly response. It's not one of faith. It may be hatred. Uh, but not every experience uh, and, and response in Scripture of a person acknowledging that God is the only God is in faith. Sometimes it's just terror. It's, it's ungodly terror. But there is another response. And we see in uh, Rahab, the harlot, who welcomed the spies in Joshua too. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. There is a good response and there is a bad response. And my friends, one day in the future, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For those that are in Christ, this will be to their eternal joy. This will be a glad confession. But those who are not in Christ, this will be to their eternal shame. Both groups will totally know it's true. Both groups will be saying the same thing, but the response is totally different. My prayer for you is that you see that God is the one true God, but that you respond in faith. You respond like Rahab. That that you give Christ not only your sins, but your past and your present and your future. The presence of God changes us. It changed Israel by giving new hearts. And and so I want to just give an encouragement to anyone who has never been born again, who has never put their faith solely in Christ. I implore you, today is the day. Put your faith in Christ. Become a new creation. Get a new heart so that you can enjoy the things of God. And so that when one day when you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord before him with everyone else, that it will be to your eternal joy and not your shame. Believers, you've been given a new heart. You've experienced the presence of God. The days can be difficult. They can be long. My encouragement to you is keep going Uh, The small things can make a kingdom impact, as we see here. It can make an impact for Christ's kingdom, and it can make an impact for the nations. And so some of this could be a faithful giving a dollar a day. It could mean just setting that aside, you know, uh, through through, uh, a direct deposit. It could be saying, you know what, our family, we're going to cancel the cable bill to give to missions. Or, you know, maybe we'll join a, uh, the care team for the Campbells or the Garretts so that we can pray for them, that we can keep up with them. Maybe that means you're going on a mission trip to Guatemala or to the Navajo and you're doing a woodcutting ministry or you're helping us with our community Christmas. I hope the presence of God is changing you. 
you're called to change, and that is something that will happen. And so my encouragement to you is keep experiencing Christ through his word, through prayer and singing with the church.